2: Well, Chris, we just watched the season finale of The White Lotus Season 2. I
1: can't believe it. I Uh, can't believe they did that to our girl, Tanya.
2: Tanya's dead. Oh, my God, there's so much to talk about. There's
1: so much. Me and Lucia inherited the earth and so much money.
2: (laughs) Someone's going to win a prize, so let's get into it.
1: Hello, and welcome to Still Watching, a weekly television podcast from Vanity Fair. I'm Chris Murphy.
2: And I'm Richard Lawson. We're here to discuss the seventh and final episode of the HBO series The White Lotus, Arrivederci. Well, the final episode of season two. Yes. I think there's going to be more. There'll be more in store. And what a finale it was, Chris. (laughs) Our (laughs) beloved Tanya perished in the uh, Ionian Sea. By her uh, own hands. In a very operatic way. (laughs) Um, and she took down a cabal of nefarious gays, which is something you and I have been trying to do for years now. The gays are trying uh, <laughs> to murder her as
1: they've been trying to murder us.
2: Harper and Ethan reconnect as only, only one can in a fancy hotel room in Sicily. <laughs> uh, and the Degrassos, well, they return to some old habits, but maybe hopefully generationally have evolved a, a little bit. Um, and of course, me and Lucia. Yeah, happy our, endings.
1: our girls get the happy endings. We're so happy for them. Also, we have two conversations to share with you this week. Tomorrow we'll have a conversation with series creator Mike White, where we'll get into whatever he can tell us about season three. And I hope he tells us as much as possible because I need to know what's going to happen and share some of our own hopes for where the White Lotus is headed from here. But first, later in this episode, we'll talk to Megan Faye about Daphne's one final moment of wisdom and what she and Ethan got up to on that old island castle.
2: All right, Chris, it's time to attend to the most important business of today. Which is Of the year. W- really, once and for all settling who wins the White Lotus still-watching Aperol Spritz Prize of yeah. c- accurately predicting who was dead at the end of the season.
1: And given the fact that neither of us came really anywhere close.
2: Well, I think you should give yourself a little credit because you are, in fact, the winner. Uh, Way back in episode one of this podcast, you predicted that Tanya would
1: die. This is true. This is true. And the real ones who've been listening since the beginning know that I did I, I did say Tanya would die and did I change my mind every episode since right. then of course but I did predict that Tanya would die and this is a lesson in sticking with your gut and trusting your first instinct it's always correct
2: it's also a lesson in dynamic storytelling because you had we had to you know have this sort of like no we-, we laid the breadcrumbs all along you just had to pay attention to the clues yeah so, so well done Chris thank you I it- know
1: you really wanted that <laughs> yeah, Richard, I'm so sorry I'll,
2: I'll somehow deal without it <laughs> alright Chris it's the time I'm going to pour you your your prize, your deli- ugh, delicious smelling.
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a lot. That's a Are lot. Are you ready? Mm, Monday at 10 a.m. That's, that's when I wanted an april spread. And now
2: to make it a spaghetti. There well, we go.
1: Transported to the. I feel like I'm in the White Lotus right now.
2: Cheers. I'm going to just stick with my water. <laughs> Cheers. Congratulations, Chris.
1: I'd like to thank the Academy.
2: So, Chris, there's a lot to talk about, as we said. Um, let's save the big bit for last, the shootout on the yeah, boat. The godfather-esque um, shootout. And instead start with what I don't think anyone thought was going to be kind of a happy ending with
1: these two couples yeah, who hate each other. Which we should have realized, and I feel sort of silly. I feel really silly about a lot of the predictions a lot of the things that I've said on this podcast, though I stand by everything. But Mike White Given last season, what happened with um, Alexander Dario and Jake Lacey's character, they get their, you know, sort of unhappy, happy ending. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that the sort of the two, the avatars of that couple, the rich, privileged couple who, you know, sort of go on vacation, they often leave vacation fine. Right. They usually end up leaving just as fine, if not better in some cases, than they started. So, yeah, I guess in my head, in my fantasy, I wanted, you know, Aubrey Plaza to murder (laughs) <laughs> Cameron sure. Cameron right. and Ethan. Yeah. But what was way more likely to happen and way more realistic is that they, you know, they leave the vacation, yeah. you know,
2: fine. They leave it fine, or maybe even better, in the case of Ethan and Harper. Yeah. Um, you know, it's unclear whether Ethan went to that little island and had a thing with Daphne or not. Unclear? But <laughs> Well, I don't know. I, I don't, maybe she just talked to him. I, I, mean, I don't know. Maybe they did whatever. But I yeah. think like, kind of, you know, and, and White was you know, playing with our expectations, this confrontation in the water between Mm -hmm. Ethan and Cameron always one, one was drowning the other. Then they flip turned, they they (laughs) flip and then then the (laughs) other was, was drowning him. And then uh, some random guy comes up and breaks it up and, and Cameron kind of laughs at the end. And it's like, of course that doesn't happen to these people. That's not that they just they get in their little fight and then they kind of and pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. And then
1: they have dinner together right, that night, right. which and, is so
2: insane. And like Ethan and Harper didn't seem thrilled about that. <laughs> but by the end, I'm sure they were like, yeah, we'll we'll pick up our glasses and do a toast. We're not going to walk away, you know, rude or whatever. Yeah.
1: To the Maldives. Um, next
2: and, year in the Maldives. So I think I mean, it's, it's like it, it sounds sort of simple or cliche. And I'm not that's not a criticism of White's writing. I think he's kind of driving us toward that. It's like Harper and Ethan just needed a little adventure a little yeah. danger a little something sex really little sex sort to, of <laughs> yeah the tool something to lead them to that sex and then now they're we see them content in the airport and you know in terms of cameron and daphne uh we're going to speak be speaking to megan fahey later but like I don't think that's a happy ending exactly, but it's 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 a status quo ending, yeah, least. I mean yeah.
1: there's a lot more ambiguity with the Cameron Daphne ending, and with I would say Daphne's character. We never got like a clear answer about the kids if they're Camerons, if they're not i mean i I think we can choose right. to believe what we choose to believe in that situation, and then Daphne sort of emerges as maybe the wisest person, the sort of sage. the sort of poet
2: philosopher of the <laughs> Of uh, the season.
1: Yeah. In her speech to Ethan on the beach about how we never really know anyone. We can spend all day with people, uh, with somebody and not really know them. And so it might be. And I don't know if you think this is the thesis of, of the show or if there is some grand thesis that connects the entire show. But we have to do what we have to do to not be a victim of life. Right. Right. It seems yeah. to be Mike White's. And if that means having sex with your Yale roommate's <laughs> wife on an island <laughs> And then that gets you going to have sex with your own wife right. and like, go at it. That's what I took away. Yeah. <laughs> potentially.
2: And I think some viewers certainly would understand and be frustrated by some of the ambiguity in in this storyline where we don't know for sure what happened with Harper and Cameron. We or don't know Daphne what happened with Daphne and Ethan. But in that little speech, um, well, not so little speech in a way, um, you know, Daphne is saying like, there are gaps to fill like you 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 don't know everything and you have to either fill that with trust or with contentment or something you can fill it with bad things um but like that you know i I think she's basically telling not only herself and ethan and but also the audience like you know not everything is going to be met with like some sort of satisfying truth yeah i mean and does it it even matter like at the end of
1: the day if if Harper right. and Cameron had sex or Daphne and Ethan had sex if they're leaving and Harper and Ethan are in a better place, does it even really matter? Right. It seems to be sort of the ethos or the uh, what I took away from it, which is a very mature and evolved yeah. way well, to sort of think about relationships in life. You know, it's it's sort of the antithesis of jealousy. It's sort of
2: fatalist in her circumstances, I think, just from huh. like because it's like that's a bad marriage, yeah. Well, I mean, well, a I mean although who am I to judge if it works for them?
1: Well, you it, know, and it seems that our Harper and Ethan taking you know a page out of Cameron and Daphne's book sort of helped, right? Know?
2: Yeah. Well, so I, I think it's a complicated. I, I think it's a little cynical. I think it's a little not cynical, like uh, not uh, not exactly optimistic, but um. And I think one thing to kind of link this first, the second season back to the first, where you know, the first season was a lot about class and money and stuff, and this was mm-hmm. about that too, but yeah. mostly more about sex and and jealousy and all those things is that like they're at the four of them is at the airport. they're not sitting with each other, Yes, that's a very important but, like they're all going home rich. I think that Cameron and Daphne aren't having the money problems we thought they were yeah. like i think I think Cameron definitely wants that some of Ethan's money invested with him 100%. but like, I don't think that he they're hiding a secret poverty or,
1: yeah, I think our sort of theory. First of many theories that we're going to debug that were not true that we came up with that Cameron and Daphne had all these money problems or that they were some grand schemers or some master planners trying to destroy Harper and Ethan. I don't think that's true. I mean, in this episode, Cameron sort of came across more sort of Trumpy to use a word, you know, when when he's sitting um, at lunch. And he's talking about how, like, it's okay to throw yogurt at your assistant. And then Harper just finally says, you're an idiot. What we've all been thinking, what we've all been wanting to say is like, oh, he's simpler than I think we gave him credit for. I think he's pretty simple. And I think Daphne, I do want to go back to Daphne for one second, because um, she's the only person, and back to our survivor metaphor, which I think she wins survivor, she would have won survivor 100%. She's the only person who can process information in real time and make a decision that makes the most sense for herself.
2: Which you see in probably the season's most revert piece of acting, which we'll talk to Megan about. Yes. This This series of looks when Cameron's, or when Ethan says, I think something might have happened between her and she looks away, she looks at the other. I think of Catherine O'Hara Waiting for Guffman. I yes. want to do that kind of acting where <laughs> you don't look at, when you don't look at them, your eyes are open. When you look at them, your eyes are closed. Yes. Um, it's brilliant. But um, that she is She is so she's figuring out on the flight. She's giving herself a little bit of time to be like, okay, how do I think what do I think about this? How am I going to process and how am I going to show that reaction outwardly? Yes. And And she's taking
1: in the hurt of the situation of, you know, Harper and Cameron, if that happened. And then she's and then she's fixing the problem in real time. Yeah. And conveying that to the audience beautifully. It was ooh,
2: it's so good. And I think because we don't see exactly what that fix was, what exactly that little trip to the island was. Yeah it lets us know about all of her secrets that like in a marriage like that one that one, you know, observe from the outside. You, the, the assumption is because of gender roles or whatever is um, that Cameron's the one with all the secrets. He's the one with the mistress in town. Yeah. He's the blah, 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 blah. But like she has secrets too. Yeah. And she's, she's alluded to those to Harper when they're in noto and all that stuff. So I think, you know, I was because Megan Fey is so good. I was maybe hoping for something bigger for her at Same. the end, but but actually, I think that, like you said, she kind of becomes in a way the thematic centerpiece of the season, mm-hmm. just in those two short scenes. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
1: I also wanted something. I wanted a big Daphne. I mean, I said this last week. I wanted Daphne to kill somebody. I wanted a yeah. big Daphne Harper showdown, like right. big scene set piece, sort of that Cameron and Ethan got in the water. But that is unrealistic, and I do think. Um, What Mike White does, there are points where he goes sort of big and sort of crazy, but also with these couples, they're always sort of the most grounded in reality and sort of like the actual machinations of what couples, what, you know, heterosexual couples, married couples go through. And so it wasn't really realistic for, you know, Daphne and Harper to have some like, you know, Ryan Murphy-esque like showdown, slap fight, you know, screaming match Real Housewives thing that I, you know, part of me would have liked to see. I think what we got from Daphne was so much more complicated, and then also showed just how central and how important she was to the series, right? Um, As sort of the beating heart of like, oh, this is how this is how you win for lack of a better term. And then all
2: Harper and Ethan did, other than have sex with each other, was. They broke the statue that is a symbol in Sicily of, the curse of, had been of lifted. murderous jealousy <laughs> and they broke it and they said, you know, we're, we're I mean, so they're being sort somewhat insensitive to a culture, I suppose, but also ah. saying, like, we don't have to go down that route. Yeah. And, and that's kind of the end of that.
1: The curse has been lifted. The spell has been broken. They can have sex. They're having sex. They're connected again. Um, it was really sort of a considering the option that we came up with last week where somebody was going to die at yeah. the hands of the statue for the statue to shatter and for them to find each other again is weirdly optimistic and hopeful. And who's to say how long that marriage lasts or whatnot. But it was interesting having talked to Aubrey Plaza about this. They started in such a bad place and they're leaving in such a better place. Yeah. Harper. One home. And you know what? I'm happy. I'm happy for I'm happy for my girl Harper. I'm happy that she made it. And I hope uh, I want more Daphne next season, but we'll save that. (laughs) We'll table it. (laughs) All right, Chris, we have dissected
2: the quadrangle of (laughs) Daphne and Harper and Cameron and Ethan as much as we can. So let's go to one of the sources and hear our chat with Megan Fahey, who plays Daphne. (music) Well, we're so happy to be on the line now with Megan Fahey, who plays Daphne, uh, the great Megan Fahey. I think the pretty great wise Daphne at the wise end. Wise,
1: sage Daphne. Yeah, very lots sage. of wisdom.
2: Uh, Megan, hello.
0: <laughs> hello. How are you? Thanks for having me.
2: Of course. Uh, we know you're fresh off of a viewing party, uh, so we're sorry to get you up early in the morning to talk about all this.
0: <laughs> oh no! It's my. It's really my pleasure.
2: So we want to jump right to I think the defining scene for us anyway of the episode, which maybe is the, the series, the, maybe maybe the whole series. the whole yeah, series. Yeah. <laughs> Um, this, you're on the beach and, uh, Ethan says, I think something might've happened. And you do so much incredible face acting before you kind of Daphne collects herself. And is just like, well, you know, it's okay. Um, can you tell us a little bit about filming that? Like what is in your head as you're kind of uh, gauging Daphne's reaction to, to, uh, Ethan's suspicion?
0: Well, I think we knew going into it that it was a pretty important moment, Um, so we really took our time with it. I mean, Mike was great in that way anyway. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we never, I never felt like we rushed through something and didn't really get a chance to sort of sit with it. And that scene is definitely an example of that. I mean, we did it a bunch of different ways, you know? Mm. Um, so for me, it was really exciting to see how it ended up cutting together because I didn't really know what he was going to choose, which sort of vibe he was maybe going to pick of the ones that we kind of played with. But um, yeah, I mean, I love that scene for Daphne. I think it's a moment for her where she's, you know, in her own way, being empathetic to Ethan and wanting to make him feel
1: better. It's so compelling because we see Daphne sort of take in the information and then make a decision and the decision is sort of ambiguous she says we're going on a walk we're walking she it's not even a question she says walk with me um Mm -hmm. what do you think pains daphne more the cameron potential betrayal or the fact that harper you know they're friends at this point it feels like daphne thinks that harper and her are good friends so yeah that's a really good
0: question i mean i think that you know as it applies to daphne and cameron like she's probably dealt with this i mean who knows how many times you know and then we learn in episode five that she's got her own thing going too with Mm -hmm. you know she talks about the trainer and stuff so it's like um but for it to be harper i think probably does play into that first emotion that you do see on her face which is sadness
1: heartbreak (laughs) it's
0: yeah yeah um but then I think ultimately, you know, we watch her sort of do what she does, which is she makes a very active choice um, about what she will and will not be affected by mm-hmm. and what and how she will allow her life to rule her or not. And then once she's explained that to Ethan, basically, I think she just sees this guy that like looks so broken that she really wants to help him feel better.
2: Yeah. And I, I guess, you know, the, the, It was surprising to us, um, you know, as regular recappers of the show, avid watchers of the show, that like this foursome they end sort of happy. (laughs) Do you see it that way? I mean, I think our notion of what a good marriage is 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 subjective. I mean, Mm -hmm. maybe this does work for Daphne and Cameron. How how do you view it? Uh,
0: That's kind of how I look at it. I mean, I think that the whole sort of storyline there is meant to challenge, um, you know, what what the the parameters of, a, of what we would call a functioning relationship are. And I think that with, with Daphne and Cameron, they're trying, and Daphne is trying to teach um, not just Harper, but also um, Ethan that they have other options because mm. she, that's how she lives. You know, she's, she's kind of like, it doesn't have to be like this. You could get a trainer <laughs> or like, you could take a walk with me to this Island and like, you know, who knows what, they did there you know like i think and again i don't think that she does that to make you know to get back at cameron or anything i genuinely think in her strange way that's like an empathetic thing that she's doing the way that she's trying to take care of these people um i think at the end they do seem kind of happy i think that you know obviously cameron and daphne have been through something cameron gets the shit kicked out of him (laughs) that daphne finds a um you know a dead body uh <laughs> but that moment of her just sort of touching his face and looking at him and then kissing them kissing is like this really tender moment where again you do see the love between these two characters that was there at the beginning it was there through all of the weird shit that happened and it's still there at the end when they go home which is kind of you know at the way that they function and then of course the other two have finally had sex and so they're like yeah. basking in the glow of reconnecting to each other physically which is also yeah. so cool to see
1: thanks to daphne but yeah you know, which is yeah basically <laughs> you, you did it you're an amazing therapist yeah. in a way and
0: in a, in a weird way like can't harper and ethan like become cameron and daphne in a way at the end because it's like this you know this sort of secrecy like infidelity, what happened, what happened, what happened, and then finally it's just, they just, like, you know, the tension rises and it serves them.
2: Well, it, it goes back to something that Cameron says in an earlier episode, which is, like, he's talking about how rich folks just have this kind of secret world of immorality or, or whatever. They kind of do what they want, and in some ways this whole arc for these four characters could be looked at, Daphne and Cameron in their way, ushering the newly wealthy mm. Harper and Ethan into, into the like, club. this is how it works, you know? And, right. And I feel yeah, like yeah, yeah. And at that dinner scene when Cameron gives that toast, like that is genuine. It sounds like I think they all had a nice time, <laughs> kind of <laughs> at the end of the day. Yeah,
0: which is so psychotic when you watch the last episode. It's so funny because, like, I remember shooting that, of course, and thinking like, obviously, we were playing to the tension and, and stuff. But I hadn't seen the scene where they fight in the water or any of that, and so of course, I had read it in the script, but like, watching that and then seeing that scene after that, there was a huge juxtaposition um, that I thought was really effective. But yeah, that was, um, I think he does mean it.
1: (laughs) I've got to say, I think, I don't know how online you are or how much you've seen the reception of your character and how people are fully obsessed with Daphne. To the point where she's almost like aspirational in terms of everyone else is having the worst vacation of their entire lives, but everyone online is clocking. Like Daphne is just grinning through it. Everyone saying, "I need her meds. I need her therapist." <laughs> Are you paying attention to sort of like the online discourse, and do you do you think that Daphne is kind of the most aspirational person on the show? You know.
0: Uh, so I don't have. Twitter or TikTok but so I only really see what my friends send me and it just cracks me up I mean some of the stuff is so funny and I guess watching the show I do understand why she might be that character because she just has the sunniest disposition maybe out of any of the other characters and I think that just because of that especially because her storyline is like what it is it's like you know one of the more sorted. You know, um, stories, and then for her to be in the face of all of that, be um, as sunshiny as she is, I totally get why that would be a character that people were like, I want to be her. (laughs) Everything bad happens to her, and she doesn't care about any of it.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, because she takes that bad and then does her own thing and sort of balances the karmic scales or or whatever, however she looks at it.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: You've mentioned in some interviews that like the bold type was like kind of, you know, a big in your 20s and now the white lotus arrived in your 30s and do you feel like you had there was growth when you were making this this season like how is it kind of both as a, an actor obviously but as a person uh to be in sicily for these months
3: oh
0: yeah i mean i think it sort of goes hand in hand right I, i've never had an experience of living in another country for that long before um and i think you you just when you travel you learn so much about Um, the world and other people and how they do things and then to have that coupled with working with some of the best actors in the biz (laughs) the biz who just said the biz
1: you did and we love it
0: (laughs) I mean I kind of said it as a joke but like still it sounded weird coming out of my mouth (laughs) Um, anyway I meant it you know they're some of the most talented people that you could dream of working with and so it really was a very surreal experience and I do I feel like I learned so much I was you know, I would sit at the monitor whenever I could and watch um, Jennifer do her scenes and watch Marie and Michael do their scenes. And, um, I, you know, my friends, too, I would watch Haley and Adam and um, Leo. And and I just was so excited about what everyone else was doing that it was such an enriching experience, um, sort of just top to bottom.
2: Is there one of the plot lines that you wish Daphne could have? Insisted her way into, <laughs> you know.
0: Uh, listen, I would have loved to have seen Daphne with the gays oh, in Palermo. Yeah. I mean, send her to the party. You send know what I'm saying? Her.
1: <laughs> get her to get, the function. get her in
0: on that coke bowl. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> she would have the time of her absolute life.
0: I think she would have been such a blast there.
2: She would have been talked into buying a villa in Noto, and then <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: that would be a whole thing. Oh yeah. Oh my goodness, I. You're you're a musical theater person, so and you have an amazing voice. So I think you'll understand this. There's something about Daphne in the character. I think something why I connected to Daphne so much is she really has a lot of Baker's wife energy to me in Into the Woods, <laughs> and that's a role yes. that I would really love to see you play. And like Aubrey Plaza's the witch, that could like I totally see it. Oh There's... my
0: god, that's <laughs> so funny.
1: So this is my petition. to let's get you in. Let's get you to be the let's Baker's wife.
0: I love it. <laughs>
2: So we're talking about kind of the the intricacies of how this character was drawn both by you uh, and by Mike White in the scripts. But I'm kind of curious, like, what is White like to work with as a director? I mean, how much is he letting you have kind of free reign of finding this character? Or are there really intense conversations about her arc throughout the process?
0: He he is an incredible mixture of being very specific and knowing exactly what he wants and also letting you do whatever you want. Like he we didn't have a ton of conversations beforehand um he's not super precious with like backstory and all of those typical actory things he just kind of he's just like just go for it um so you know he would give really really good notes i think is is what made him so great because he created an environment that felt very loose and fun and um not stressful or heavy or, you know, p- like pressure. Um, but he also was really supportive. So like, you never felt like you were flailing. Like he was always there to say like, yes, it's that, or like, try it this way. Or like, I don't think it's this, I think it's that. And um, I just feel like everybody sort of benefited from his ability to sort of create that space for us where we weren't afraid to try something, but we always knew that he was going to keep us on the right track.
1: A lot of Daphne and Cameron and Ethan Harper's uh, what happened between them. A lot of it is left ambiguous to the audience. I wonder, is it was it ambiguous for you? Like, do you do you know what really happened with Daphne and Ethan in on the island, or w- whether or not Harper and Cameron?
0: I it, mean, I literally. So last night at the um, watch party, we were we were watching the show and eating pizza and about three quarters of the way through we got there was a knock on the door and we all turned around and it was it was Mike White and Jennifer Coolidge <laughs> walked into our watch party to surprise us. Oh my God. And we all we were so excited to see them. Um and it was the best surprise ever. But I even asked him later that night, I was like, So what do you think happened on the island? I was like, you know, and I gave him like two scenarios. I was like, do you think this happened or this happened? He was like, ew, I don't like to think about that. (laughs) (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. I think that, um, wow. I think that he really likes to leave it up to the audience to decide. I don't think that he wants to like teach the audience anything. I think he just wants to ask a question Mm. and then give them the space to kind of like make of it what feels right to them.
2: Which I think goes back to Daphne's speech to Ethan about, you know, you never really 100% know another person. Like, there's always a mystery and yeah. ambiguity, you yeah. know?
0: I mean, by the way, that's the truest thing ever. I mean, I remember reading that before we shot it and thinking, like, how gorgeous that was as a sentiment because it's true. And I think sometimes when we think about love and stuff traditionally. We we feel like it's full access to a person. mmm but but that's not necessarily true and you can love someone without knowing everything about them you know
2: mm-hmm. so
0: i love i love that speech i think that's such a beautiful moment of writing
2: similarly there was some doubt online um i don't know if anyone sent this to you but like people were wondering like are those kids both camerons or it is like like i guess we're we're not supposed to know is that another point you think we're supposed to wonder about? Was that, like, a deliberate thing with her showing the photo on her phone?
0: Yeah, I mean, for me, I think she's certainly hinting towards the fact that her son might not be her husband's son.
2: Mm. Yeah. Which is a bit, bit of power in a weird way to have <laughs> yeah. over Cameron, you know, <laughs> in some ways.
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's that's pretty unhinged <laughs> if you think about it. <laughs> Um, and again, I can't say with one hundred percent certainty either because I don't I don't know myself. But I I think I think what I can say is that that's certainly um, a very real implication.
2: Mm. It's mm. funny just that the moral journey of this season and these characters in particular is like, well, if it works for them, that's where I, that's <laughs> what I've arrived at. Like, I, no judgments. Totally, on, yeah. totally, totally, totally,
0: totally. Whatever works for you is the whole point of the whole thing. You know?
1: Wow. And now there's a season three is announced. Do you think there's any chance we'll see Daphne on, you know, at a new white Lotus, you know, maybe with Cameron, maybe not. <laughs> she, she does say next year in the Maldives. Next year in the Maldives.
0: Yeah, but... Oh, yeah. Listen, I would I would be, you know, a bartender in season three. <laughs> I really would. Um, and I guess technically because she didn't die, there was a chance. But, I mean, you know, Mike is five steps ahead of everyone else, and there's a chance that he'll do something completely unexpected for season three, and that will be amazing. I mean, I, I, I would, I don't know. Who, who knows what's gonna happen? Nobody.
2: Well, I suspect great things will happen <laughs> for you, yeah. uh, because it's oh, just thanks. really a, an, an amazing turn. Uh, Incredible and Such work. a well-drawn character, and, and it's
1: been really exciting to watch you, all these seven episodes. Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Really incredible. Really incredible. It's so thank you so much for chatting with us. And I'm serious oh about the God, Baker's Wife into the Woods. I amazed.
0: am obsessed with that reference. You'd be <laughs> I totally see it. Moral I
2: relativism. Totally see it. Summer 2024. <laughs> we'll see you at the Delacorte.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's so funny.
2: <laughs> uh, well, thanks again for your time, Megan. We really appreciate it. Still watching. We'll be back in just a moment. And when we return our poor Tanya Postman. Yeah. <laughs> An
1: elegy for Tanya. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New
2: Yorker podcast for the culturally curious.
1: Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. What are you guys excited to cover in the next few months? There's a new translation of The Iliad that's coming out,
2: Emily Wilson. Really excited to see whether I can read The Iliad again, whether I'm that literate.
1: I mean, the jury is out. I can't wait to hear Adam Driver go again in an Italian
2: accent in Michael Mann's Ferrari. (laughs) He can't stop. I mean, and and bless him. I can't wait.
1: Molto bene. Molto bene.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts.
0: You really don't want to miss this. Don't. Don't miss this. Don't miss it. (laughs) See you soon.
2: So I think you could look at the ending for the DeGrasso family as also optimistic.
1: I was going to say bleak as hell. but Well,
2: (laughs) I mean, I think it's optimistic until that last scene at the airport. Yes. Where you realize, especially with Dominic, that like, Oh, dear. He's he's saying these things. Well, Albie is saying these things to his wife on his behalf. Yeah. Um, Shady. But he's still caught in an addiction, maybe. I mean, look, uh, Bert and Albie look at this hot girl in the airport, all too. All three. All three of the generations look at the hot girl. there's more of a sort of like, oh, God, in Dominic's eyes. He's like, well, I can't help myself, you know. Well,
1: because we think that maybe, uh, again, we talked about change with Michael Imperioli. Can people change if people want to change and how difficult that can be? And at the end of the season, I mean, his storyline basically became wanting to get his wife back, right, and doing whatever he could to get his wife back. He right. Says, goodbye to Lucia, goodbye to Mia. Um, they go back to their ancestral ancestral town in Sicily, but it's really about getting back to his wife. And we see him, you know, crying over a photo of her. It must be noted: Laura Dern was not in that photo. She, <laughs> she just did like a voiceover, you right, know, right. as the wife, and then they. So that should be noted, but. You're thinking, even if he's going about getting back with his wife in sort of a really shady and not very fair manner by bribing his son Mm -hmm. (laughs) with 50,000 euros to talk to her on his behalf, um, there's slight hope, I think, that maybe the family will be happy and he's learned his lesson until he looks at that woman that walks by and it's all like oh it's it's a man or pigs sorry to be so (laughs) reductive but it's like that's what i thought
2: maybe the hope then comes in the form of albie so this third generation is maybe slightly breaking the cycle because yes he was you know tricked by (laughs) lucia um but he doesn't seem that broken up about it yeah what does it really mean to him it's his dad's money his dad has plenty of money he knows well at least i think he hopes and trusts as we do at the very end of the episode that like that money will go to a good cause in a way you know yeah, she needs Lucia a,
1: is a good cause uh, yeah, good person
2: yeah um and and then he kind of reconnects with portia at the airport yeah. uh as if to start over as if to reset the clock N- now that now that they've been through these two sort of crucibles together one that was imagined danger the one one that was actual real danger it seems um and they have They've looked at life from both sides now, as a great poet once said. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And I think they have decided, like, you know what? I think we're just going to be kind of basic people who (laughs) aren't actually looking for wounded birds, in Albie's case,
1: or Or the most exciting. Exactly. The most exciting person in the world. I mean, truly, and we did see this coming. We should, and we should give ourselves credit for when we (laughs) did get things right. I mean, you got to get Albie a scarf and put him in rent because he is a Mark, honey. Like, that's, like <laughs> yeah. it was so, it, it, like, so funny how, uh, how he got played. And he just admitted it. And I, I, I think he sort of always yeah. knew that that was a possibility, I guess, in the back of his mind. But he got swept away in the fantasy, sort of as Bert gets swept away in the fantasy of, you know, imagining his return to his ancestral home. And... Lucia and Alessio, and I love that this, this choice for Mike White, Alessio also is a service worker who works at, we see that he's sort of standing outside right. another hotel um, wearing a name tag at the end when Lucia like blows him a kiss and walks off into the yeah. sunset with Mia. And so sort of, I think, showing growth or not even growth, but in a very much um, turn away from the first season the marginalized, the underclass, if you will, sort of wins the day here. Like, and the yeah. rich people, at least in the DeGrasso scenario, they're the ones that get duped. They're the ones that get played. Dominic, Albie, yeah. even Bert to some degree, um, and Mia Lucia and Alessio, you know, the service workers, you know, be... the piano
2: player gets a little fucked over. Okay, but he like, does get but, absolutely <laughs> But like, <laughs> okay, but over. even, even the, the story with Valentina and, uh, Mia, which I thought was a little underdeveloped, but like, mm-hmm. the, like, there nothing bad happens there yeah. valentine doesn't lose her job for sleeping in one of the the rooms um basically mia's like well you know um i'll, I'll hang out with you tonight but like l- you know let <laughs> Let's me find you a real let lesbian. me take you to some lesbian bars and whatever some real wild places and that's like okay good you know and i think that albie is is sort of like well i was softly scammed like yes. i yes. had a nice time I think that Lucia genuinely did like him. I do too. And I know. think she,
1: um, Tabasco, did an, a wonderful job of conveying that like, uh, like I'm taking the money, but I had a nice, like, yeah. I like the kid. He's a nice kid. <laughs> nice yeah. Kid. Nice
2: kid. Um, and so everyone wins in a way. Yeah. Um, at least in the moment. And, um, I think that no ending on that note of optimism with Mia and Lucia and, and a sort of winky, it, it was mm-hmm. just a great closing shot, you yeah. know, and, and a great way to kind of conclude their story, which was exactly how we met them. Mm-hmm. Kind of racing through the streets of Taramina, looking in shop windows, being like, dreaming of what's to come. And yeah. they, they you know, that was a really um, lucrative week for them. <laughs> that was a
1: big, yeah, yeah. They, but yeah. Every, yeah, they got exactly what they wanted. Mia's singing at the hotel. Yeah. Lucia's got, you know, 50,000 euros in her pocket. Yeah. To not, open
2: that store, maybe.
1: Yes, to open that store. I mean, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, picturesque and beautiful and perfect. Um, who doesn't really get a, a perfect ending is Portia. I mean, she does get a happy ending in that she's alive.
2: Yeah. Yeah, she is alive. <laughs> she was probably going to get killed by yeah. Jack. Or yeah. at least that was sort of what was supposed to happen. Um, and then...
1: Disposed of in some way that yeah. I think
2: probably ended would end in her demise. And And he just couldn't do it, I think partly in a weird way her her calling him out in the car before they before they start or what she thinks is Terramina, um and saying like so so you fuck your uncle i think that sort of made jack's shame or whatever sort of rush to the surface and he's like all right i don't want to see this girl again but like i also am not going to do anything
1: i know? also thought that like he spared her life i think because he might have genuinely had, like, somewhat of a fun time. It's sort of a little bit of the Lucia situation, right? right? Where, right. yeah, Lucia took the money. Yeah, Jack was there on a job. But they, I think they both genuinely had, you know, a pretty good time with the other person. So right. rather than murdering her or kidnapping her or sending her into a situation that would be terrible, her going back right. to the hotel that would have been terrible for her, Um, he lets her go. Again, now filled with shame because he gets called out for fucking his uncle, who's not right. his real uncle. But I, I think those are sort of beautiful. Portion be storylines storyline sort of beautifully parallel each other. Um, you know, this sort of <laughs> Romeo and Juliet of it all star-crossed lovers to then meet at the airport after yeah. all of this tragedy has sort of befelled both of them. Um, not that I think that they are meant to be together because of this, but I liked that they exchanged numbers at the, at the yes, airport.
2: and I think they're... Well, I think one thing, a side note, I think that Jack's future is pretty bleak. Oh, because the, maybe the bleakest. Cause... L- like the, I feel like the police are going to find him and, you know, whatever. But but I think with, with Portia and Albie, like, you could read it as sort of, oh, nice. They go, but, but it's also kind of, um, it also says something about the sort of blitheness of their characters where it's mm-hmm. like, well, like... Let's just what if we just kind of did this thing that we were going to do a few days ago, you yeah. know, like, oh, OK, we like uh, in, in Portia's case, she was surrounded by a lot of destruction and bad stuff. Not None of it, mm. not, not, none of none of her fault. Yeah. And Albie also didn't didn't ruin anything. But they they kind of did pass through other people's lives, people who were in much dire circumstances, or at least Albie thought. I mean, Lucia is in more dark yeah. dire circumstances than Albie is. And then at the end of it, we're just like, ah, who are we kidding? Let's just be together. And I think there is something satirical about that, too. As It's sweet, but it's also like it tells you a lot about who they are, that they are able to compartmentalize like that yeah. and just kind of so quickly reset into, like, Portia saying,
1: can I have your number? Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm foolish or naive, but I thought it may have shown some growth on both yeah. of their parts or specifically on Portia's part where... She had this nice guy in front of her who was clearly into her, who she threw away like a, the hot tamale for Jack once he showed up in the villa. And I think it, it, not that, you know, if you're not into someone, you're not into someone, but they definitely seem to genuinely have a connection at the very beginning. It's so hard to remember, you know, all yeah. those episodes ago, yeah. how, you know, there were some sparks. Right. And she did throw him away and i think maybe she learned that okay maybe the most exciting scariest you know hottest thing you know when you touch the stove you're gonna get burned right yeah. and that's what happened she got her. what
2: she wanted it was too much and i i don't think that she wanted like a murder plot but yeah. like yeah. she wanted she kept saying i thought Sicily was going to be an adventure and well turns out it was yeah and she got kidnapped and her boss got well not murdered <laughs> Well, but. sort of murdered by proxy in a way or whatever. <laughs> yeah, uh, and that, that was too much. And so now it's time to go back to the white bread and just, you know, Albie's safe. Yes, Albie's safe. And maybe safe is okay for her.
1: Especially after you have something that's so scary. Which again is
2: breaking the cycle of Tanya.
1: Yes, which is breaking the cycle of Tanya. Yeah. And and actually, you know.
2: I don't know if young Tanya going through that would pick someone safe like Albie. She'd probably just go after the, the next, you know, risky guy. Oh, 100%. Oh. So we should talk about, Tanya. Tanya. Uh, may she rest. May she um, rest. I have no sense of how old she was supposed to be, but um, but you know, you you saw this coming in the first I did. episode, it, I guess.
1: Yeah, and then I, let, then I let go of that theory because I was like, no, Mike White loves her too much. She's too much of a star. Yeah. But going back to the theory, it does make a lot of sense to sort of kill, or to kill off tanya her arc had come to its sort of that yeah, conclusion how I much more were we gonna necessarily get seeing i mean i would love to see jennifer coolidge all over the world right. but honestly how much more storytelling potential did that arc have i don't know
2: right and and, and mike white said in a little the post show recap thing that they do on hbo that like tanya says in the first season like death is like the last experience i haven't had yet so he gave her that experience yeah um, and I also, you know, we should remember that in the first season, Tanya sucked. Yeah, She's she, like not a good person. Yeah, she was a pretty bad person. Which doesn't mean person. she deserved to hit her head on a on a boat and drown. But like, you know, like, also I think there's a funny thing of like, Tanya was not, I mean, she she was probably right about what Quentin was up to. Mm-hmm. But like. She didn't know for sure, and she just left that room guns blazing. (laughs) Yeah, she was. So she might have just murdered people who were innocent. They weren't, I don't think. No.
1: Well, it's so interesting, and I want to give you some credit because you said in a previous episode that, you know, last season the death was accidental. The death, the main death of the season was was ultimately an accident. Yeah. She slipped and fell and hit her head on a
2: boat. (laughs) I think having Tanya murdered would have been too much. Yeah. And instead, it's like the most Tanya way to go out where she's giving herself this sad little pep talk like, I got this. You can do this. You can do this. And then just it's so swiftly. No, you don't have this. You can't do it because it's just bom, bom, and then yeah. she's done.
1: <laughs> like So derpy, yeah, as Mike yeah, says in, yeah, the, yeah. in the after show, it's a very derpy way to go. But I do love. But with its own poetry, with its own poetry. And she gets her own sort of godfather moment where she's guns blazing, shooting down all these, you know, yeah. the gays that are trying to murder her. Right. The meme of the century you now.
2: These gays, they're trying to kill me. These gays, they're trying I to me. I think I saw that GIF 16 approximately, times? like, oh, uh, in the first minute. And oh. then over the course of the evening, thousands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah no. All I'll the different definitely fonts, using that. Because <laughs> I guess different TVs have different closed caption fonts. Um, yeah, so there'll be different iterations of it going around. Oh, yeah. You know, and I thought it was like a, a, a funny... Uh, turn for tanya to to still at the very end be like the gays you know she just she wasn't like quentin is she just she didn't even really see she didn't even know one of their names she didn't know, yeah <laughs> she said and the yeah. other
1: one she yeah. didn't know one of the and she and for her to not assume <laughs> that the man leading the ship like the captain was also gay right that was and hilarious. also in on it and also in on, and yet yeah. also a part of it because he's in charge because he's driving the boat like, right. because he's not fancy shows tanya's delusion and even in her last moments with quentin she could have asked him anything in the world he's dying in front of her she has just murdered this man and all that she can think of to say is you think greg's cheating on me like i mean (laughs) that's her self-delusion is so so funny and so devastating but it just it gets me every time
2: and like my my boyfriend asked me this we watched it together uh and he was like wasn't there a staircase right behind her to go down to the little yes. boat? And it's like, yes, of course there was.
1: Did the is man Tanya. Just run like... off the boat and jump into the water and swim away? Like, yeah. Didn't she just see somebody jump into the water
2: and survive? Like... Right, she could have jumped in the water, and then maybe climbed onto the boat or <laughs> something. But that's not how Tanya really operates. Why? Yeah. Why not? You spent hours on the yacht, call the, ho- the the very expensive hotel where you're a VIP. Damn. A uh, client, and just be like, "I need a boat to come pick me up." It's that yacht out there. Yeah, so
1: you can see yeah. the hotel from where you are. Yeah, you're that close. Yeah, you're anchored down. You're not the boat's not going anywhere. Yeah, <laughs> you're right there. But that sort of, I mean, I loved how silly it was and operatic in scale. And opera has been a big part of the season. Madame Butterfly, and we said this, you know, Madame Butterfly doesn't get out no, no, of no. that opera alive, and Tanya becomes this figure. So, the way that it was both operatic and grand and we get this, you know, gun shooting, you know, dead gaze littered across this yacht Um, and it seems to be a triumphant moment for her to just go kerplop. It's high and low at the same time in a brilliant way. Yeah,
2: and I think it's a little I mean it's a little bit of justice for Natasha Rothwell from the first season. You know, like not that Tanya deserved to die of course not, but like uh yeah, it was it was a little too easy, I think, um, just because of I don't know, human empathy or something t- to watch this season and be like, Oh, poor Tanya. And it's like, Yeah. No, but she was kind of a monster when yeah. we first met her and still was in this season, you know, uh sort of heedless to people and whatever.
1: Yeah, when she said her assistants just happened to disappear. <laughs> like they, yeah. they become her boss and then happen to disappear. But I will stick up for Tanya in that I do think she grew. If only, because she sort of, in a way, this is maybe a bit of a stretch, but go with me here, sacrificed herself and saved Portia in a way. That's true. You could look at it as, if one of them had to go and one of them had to go, Tanya...
2: Tanya helped break the cycle. Helped break the cycle and... Ensured that Portia wouldn't become her. Yes. By... You know, she's like Jesus, like in, in that way. <laughs>
1: Tanya is Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Tanya is a modern day Jesus. Um,
2: I think we should point out, by the way, that um, we had a lot of listener emails mm. about theorizing about what would happen. Of course, when you're theorizing about a finale, most of us are going to get it wrong. Yeah, you and I got it wrong. A lot yeah. of emailers got it wrong. That's okay. The theories were interesting. I liked the theory that Greg was just trying to get Tanya to um cheat on her to break the prenup. That was mm-hmm. from Abby. Um, Leslie thinks that the fortune teller was trying to like do something to protect Tanya, but Tanya cast her out of the room before, Mm. before the spell or whatever, the incantation was done. But listener Tracy, um, got it almost, you know, dead on. And she wrote that, um, Tanya will somehow murder Greg and Quentin. So, okay, not Greg, but she did murder Quentin. Possibly Jack, and throw herself into the sea, killing herself. Wow! So Tracy, that was um. You get the Aperol and, Spritz Tracy, and then Portia can go live her life however she likes. <laughs> uh, so Tracy, well done. Yeah, well, we're yeah. W- wish we could email you alcohol. I don't think we're allowed to do that. But um, we'll postmates. It yeah. Too. So uh, I uh, what I liked about the ending of this season in terms of Tanya was. I was rolling my eyes a little bit about this like vast conspiracy that brought her to Sicily and all that stuff. And I was like, I just don't think that's that's not what I thought the White Lotus was in terms Mm -hmm. of its storytelling. And, you know, it was that in some ways. But then we got the surprise like return to Mike White comic bleakness with her. You know, so it it balanced out what I thought was maybe a little too plotty um, with something as silly and grim and surprising as we expect from Mike White.
1: Absolutely. And then also, what do you think about the grander show? As a whole, I do think it's it balanced out by the realism and naturalism of Harper and Cameron and Ethan and Daphne, right? right? That feels really grounded in you know real relationship dynamics. Whereas Jennifer Coolidge slipping falling off a boat in her head, you know, maybe that would <laughs> maybe that's not the most real thing that ever happened. But did I guess? Was it thrilling? Did I see it coming? No did I see, I'm really honestly impressed by the capacity to be surprised having, you know, watched the show each episode multiple times at this point, did not for one second see Daphne and Ethan coming, which seems silly to me.
2: Well, we literally didn't because the camera, they cut away from. (laughs) I guess we did. We never, we never saw it. But yeah, no, I mean, I think that White, you know, did surprise us um, where it counted and um, I, I think that making the season both, pretty dark at the end, but also hopeful with the Mia Lucia thing, like was a good way to, you know, challenge expectations because the first season ended, I thought pretty bleakly. I mean, you could maybe make the argument that the kid rowing away and leaving his family behind was hopeful, but I thought it kind of wasn't. Yeah. Um, whereas this season was like, yeah, bad things happened and lives were changed and ruined and over, you know, ended. But like, um, for the most part, as you said, lessons were learned, Mm -hmm. uh, closure was found in some cases in some cases. and uh i don't know maybe it sets us up for a third season who knows what that's going to be we're going to talk to mike white for an episode that's going to be up tomorrow yes about all that so that's it for this episode of still watching but not for the season as we said tomorrow we'll have a special post-season bonus episode interview with mike white to get into the making of this season of the white lotus after that still watching will be on a bit of a holiday hi- hiatus but we'll be back in 2023 to discuss the next tv show of the moment In the meantime, in our off-season, you can email us at stillwatchingpod at gmail.com or find me on Twitter at Rylaws, R-I-L-A-W-S, and Chris.
1: And you can find me at Chris C-H-R-I-S-T-R-E-S-S. This has been Still Watching from Vanity Fair. Our editor and producer is Dave Gonzalez, and we had production help from Peyton Hayes and Katie Rich. Our engineer is Jake Loomis. Stephen Valentino is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Alexis Cuadrado. We'll be back tomorrow with Mike White. The Run for Revogue is where
2: you'll meet all the most exciting people in fashion and culture. I am friendly, LeBouetj. Um, we should be the mayor of New York. We all support yeah. that. We support that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Very nice, <laughs> Nikki. Yes, it's been really great Cheer being in this beautiful pink room. All right, Asha, can you hear us? I can hear you. All right. Can you hear me? We can. We can. All right, here we are. <laughs>